Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. My Bible is opened once again to John chapter 15 as we continue studying the analogy of the vine and the branches, as Christ gave that to his disciples in the upper room discourse prior to his betrayal and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, as he was preparing them for his departure and for their enlarged responsibilities in the work of the kingdom. And they were enlarged responsibilities indeed. And so we read this very instructive passage, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear bear rather more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Wow. There's a lot in that passage, and we've already looked at a good many things, but there are still a number of other things to examine. So we will do that, Lord willing, on the broadcast today. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday, December 18. Thank you for helping us financially. The only way we can continue is by the support of our radio listeners. And thank you for considering a special year-end gift as we've come to the month of December and almost to the end of the year 2022. Perhaps the Lord would have you help us with a one-time gift. Our mailing address for your checks are, or your, your checks is... Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201. Or, if you'd rather donate online, you can do so at our church website, beaconbaptist.com. Find the button that says Donate and direct your contribution to the Beacon Broadcast. Thank you so very, very much. Back to verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. 
You remember that this is the last of the seven I am statements to be found in the Gospel of John. And this is a loaded statement to be sure. I am the true vine. Why does he say true vine? Why not just I am the vine? He says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. In none of these other cases does he say, I am the true door. I am the true good shepherd and so forth. But in this particular case, he does. I am not just the vine, but I am the true vine. Why does he say that? Well, you will find in the Old Testament a number of times that the prophets talked about Israel being the vine, or in some cases, the vineyard of God. Israel was God's vine, but Jesus now says, I am the true vine. And the significance of that, I think, is this. Israel was the type, but Jesus is the antitype. Are you familiar with that language? We don't hear it as often as we used to. When I was growing up as a boy, it was very, very common to talk about types and antitypes. Types are those elements of the Bible that picture, portray, illustrate something else. There is the type and then there is the anti-type. For example, a simple one would be the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. They were all types. What do we mean by that? They were picturing the true sacrifice, which was, of course, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Once Christ died upon the cross, all of those animal sacrifices were abolished. Now, they continued to be practiced by unbelieving Jews for uh, for a little while, three or four decades after the death of Christ. I say unbelieving Jews because they were the ones who did not believe that their Messiah had come that the fulfillment of those Old Testament sacrificial types had taken place, that what they pointed to was now accomplished and there was no more purpose for the types because the antitype had come to fulfill the types, to complete the types, and to stop the practice of the types because there was no need to have something to portray a future event because the future event had now been fulfilled. In fact, was very soon in the past. So Israel, that, that of course, is the illustration of the sacrifices and the fact that they are a type and that Jesus is the antitype, that is the fulfillment of that type. And in these, this opening statement of John chapter 15, we realize that when God in the Old Testament scriptures called Israel the vine, that that was a type of the true vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. That's what he is saying. In other words, Israel was the shadow pointing to something. Jesus is a substance. Israel was a symbol. Jesus is the reality. Now, as I say those things, I recognize that all of them deserve and could involve a great deal of explanation, which if I do that, I'll never get back to my text. But think about those things. Israel was the visible reminder 
of God's promises, Jesus is the invisible life force. Because it is not by being a member of any particular nation, nor a descendant of a particular godly man, nor a participant in particular rituals, nor identified with any particular institution that saves, but salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. I am the true vine. You can, you can be a Jew. You can be a circumcised Jew. You can be a Jew who is a member in good standing of the old covenant community and die and go to hell. Uh, unless you believe in Jesus, I am the true vine. And the real question, therefore, is, am I in Christ? Not am I in Israel. Not am I in the body of the circumcised. Not am I in the Old Covenant, or, to update it a little bit, not am I in a church, not am I a recognized member in good standing in a church, and so forth, but am I in Christ? Truly joined to Christ in vital union and saving connection. Does the life of Christ flow from me into him, and am I bearing spiritual fruit as a result? Because spiritual barrenness, which we read in this passage, is an indication that one is not in the vine. Spiritual barrenness cannot be remedied by religious activities, no matter how sincere. It cannot be addressed in any other way except by being joined to Christ and remaining in fellowship with him. And thus we learn the source of spiritual fruitfulness is Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And what does that mean? Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so we learn the source of fruitfulness is Christ. The procedures of fruitfulness is to remove fruitless branches and to prune fruitful ones so that they may bear more fruit. And the prerequisite for fruitfulness is reiterated in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken in to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so there must be this conscious recognition of our inability to do anything in ourselves, that comes first, and then a conscious abiding in Christ and drawing spiritual strength from him, which comes second, and when those two things are in place, there will be spiritual fruitfulness. Now let's address three important questions. Number one, what is spiritual fruit? Number two, what are spiritual prunings? And number three, what is spiritual abiding? What is spiritual fruit? What is, therefore, the nature and evidence of fruit bearing? The fruit is the development of the nature and life of the vine. Isn't that true in the picture that Jesus is using to illustrate the spiritual truth? What is the evidence of fruit on a, a grape plant, grapes. And grapes are the proof 
that that branch is joined to a vine, to a grapevine. The development and nature of the life of the vine illustrates and demonstrates that that particular branch is joined to the vine. And likewise, the development and nature of the life of Christ, in other words, Christ-likeness, is the fruit that demonstrates that we are joined to Christ. We have the life of Christ flowing into us. We are abiding in Christ, and we are thereby bearing fruit, which is Christ-likeness. Now, what is Christ-likeness? There are so many different concepts of Jesus Christ. We need to be very clear about what this is. And what is Christ-likeness? Christ-likeness is several things that are suggested in this passage. Christ-likeness is a relationship, a, an active relationship with Christ's Word. That's, that demonstrates Christ-likeness. Isn't that what he said? You have already, you are already clean, verse 3, because of the word that I have spoken unto you. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Christ is inseparable from his word. So much is that true that in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, Christ is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, skipping down a few verses, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it becomes very, very clear that John is calling the man, Christ Jesus, the Word of God. What a close connection. We, we shouldn't miss that connection. And here he tells us that we are made clean because of the word which Jesus has spoken to us. That refers, of course, to regeneration, taking us back to what Christ taught the disciples in chapter 13, that we are cleansed by justification when we trust in Christ by faith, the word that comes to us and causes us to believe because of the life of the Spirit in that Word, is what justifies us before God. We are clean, we are cleansed, we are justified, we are saved, but then there is that need for daily cleansing to wash away the defilement of the sins that we commit until we are free from this Adamic nature and are sanctified in the presence of Christ. But the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, His sayings, His utterances, abiding in us, that's the reflection of Christ in us. Who was it? I think it was said of John Bunyan, you prick him anywhere, and he bleeds the Word. <laughs> he bleeds Bible. He's so full of the, of the Bible that if you prick him, out would come Bible. Well, of course, that's a memorable way of just saying that he is full of God's Word. To a, an unusual degree, not many Christians abide, abide, 
imbibe the word of Christ to that degree. But this is the fruit that we're talking about. The fruitfulness that comes from abiding in the vine. It is evidenced by those who desire the word. Do you? It is evidenced by those who learn the word. Are you? And how are you learning it? How are you taking it in? How are you endeavoring to retain it? It is evidenced by those who apply the word. Does that describe you? Are you receiving the word of truth and applying it to your life? Because that's spiritual fruit. That's the word of Christ showing itself in you. That's the life of Christ showing itself in you. That's Christ-likeness. Your strong affection for and reflection of the Word of God. What else is spiritual fruit? Well, we could talk about discipleship. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Do you see the connection there between fruitfulness and discipleship? We have various ideas about discipleship, some of them perhaps erroneous. It was not uncommon in the years when I grew up in the in the Christian circles that that I was a part of for people to conceive of discipleship as being an advanced degree of Christianity. There were regular Christians and then there were disciples. There are regular Christians, and then there are really dedicated and committed Christians. There are regular Christians, and then there are those who are really, really into this matter, and they can be called disciples. But I beg to differ with you. A study of the word disciple and discipleship in the New Testament will lead to a very different conclusion, namely that being a disciple of Christ and being a true Christian are synonymous. In biblical terms, You are not a Christian if you are not a disciple. And in biblical terms, a disciple is a pretty serious-minded Christian, but it is the only real Christian. Anything else is a counterfeit Christian, an empty profession of faith without a true connection. Anything else is the kind of branch that thinks it's in the vine, but there's no fruit, so it gets lopped off and cast into the fire because... It is no true Christian, no true branch at all. And so we're talking about what is spiritual fruit. And spiritual fruit can be be seen in the concept of discipleship. A disciple is one who learns from and regulates his life according to the pattern of his master. That's what a disciple is. Let me say that again. A disciple is one who learns from and regulates his life according to the pattern of his master. It was a common concept in Christ's day. There were a lot of rabbis who gathered a following, and the following those who followed the rabbi were considered his disciples. I, I saw this myself on a visit to Israel many years ago. The practice still goes on. You can see groups of people literally following their rabbi, their chosen teacher, through the streets of Jerusalem, and he's commenting on this and commenting on that and teaching them this and teaching them that. 
and they are following him and learning from him and emulating him. They are his disciples. It still goes on today. That was a very common concept in Christ's day. So when Christ, the true master, the true rabbi, the ultimate one, came and taught and people were were attracted to him, people were drawn to him, then those who became serious followers of Christ, they really took in his words, they really listened to what he had to say, they really applied them to their lives, they really allowed his words to shape their their behavior. They were the ones who became like Christ because of their connection to him and their their connection to his word, they were the disciples of Christ. They were learners. One who, back to the definition again, one who learns from and regulates his life according to the pattern of his chosen master. And so a disciple is a learner. Back to this idea of taking in the word of God, taking in the words of Christ, You're not a disciple if you're not a learner, a lifelong learner, a lifelong student. Maybe that's a better word that will help us understand what he's talking about. A student, a learner, one who is committed to learning the Word of God. And you never get done with that because you never know it all. In my experience and observation, I have learned that often... The ones who think they know the most about the Bible actually know the least, because the more you learn about God's Word, the more you realize you don't know as much as you thought you did. Once in a while, you'll see somebody coming out of Bible college, and he's all convinced of his great knowledge, and he enters into ministry and basically parrots what others have taught him, and thinks he has the answers, and I've even heard preachers state, I started to use the word brag, and I think it was bragging, but I'll just use the word state. I've even heard preachers state that they have not changed one thing about their, their, uh, what they believe about the Bible, one thing about their doctrine since the time they left college or time they left school. 20, 30 years later, not one thing. As if... That's the mark of faithfulness. That's the mark of fidelity. No, that's the mark of somebody who stopped learning. You don't stop being a learner. Don't stop being a student when you leave school and are no longer involved in classwork and formal training and attending lectures and taking notes and writing papers and taking tests. And when that's over, you say, it's done Dump, dump, dump. I can wipe my hands of that. Thank God that's over. I don't have to be a student anymore. Now I can go out and proclaim what I have taught. I've got all this knowledge, this vast knowledge that I've acquired in several years of schooling. But real students, real learners, real disciples of Christ come to the opposite conclusion. My schoolwork was just the start My schoolwork gave me some knowledge. My schoolwork gave me some tools by which to study the Bible, to to help me study it more 
carefully than I probably would have if I hadn't gone to school. But my schooling just got me started on the path of lifelong learning, and now I spend the rest of my life studying the Bible. And that's the mark of a disciple. He is a learner. A second characteristic of a disciple is that he's a follower. In Christ's day, literally, his disciples followed him around. He walked here, they walked behind him. He went here, they went with him. Wherever he went, they went. Literally, they followed him around. And others, too, not just the twelve apostles. Followed him around to the extent that they were able. And that's one of the things I observed when I mentioned a moment ago. My visit to the what is sometimes called the Holy Land. <clears throat> I observed disciples following their rabbi around from place to place, a literal physical following. Well, Christ isn't here. We can't do that, can we? Can't follow him around, walking around the shores of Galilee like his disciples did in his day. But a true disciple follows him I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. There's a lifelong commitment to following him, to learning everything we can about him, learning everything we can about what he taught, and then we go in that path. We go where he went. We go where he goes, as we can understand it from Scripture by the words that he gave to us. A third characteristic of a disciple is that a disciple is an imitator. He is a learner, he is a follower, so that he can imitate. That's the whole idea, to imitate his master, to become as much like his master as he can. If you are a disciple, like Saul of Tarsus was, of Gamaliel, then the idea was to become as much like Gamaliel as possible. Gamaliel was an outstanding teacher, an outstanding rabbi, a super rabbi, and to become a disciple of Gamaliel was to learn as much as you could about him so that you could imitate him. To be a disciple of Christ is to learn everything you can about him so that you can become an imitator of Christ. And then finally, a disciple a disciple is an extender. What do I mean by that? It is one who, having become a learner and a follower and an imitator, now extends the life, the teaching, and the life of his master to others. That's the whole idea, is to make more disciples, to teach others what you have learned so that they become learners with you, to teach others where you are going and who you are following so that others become followers of Jesus Christ with you. That's the whole idea, to extend this teaching to others. So that's what the apostles did, didn't they? Christ went back to heaven, and when the Holy Spirit came upon them to give them the power to enable them to do this, they began to make many disciples. And if you go through the book of Acts, you'll find that the most common term that was used of Christians in the book of Acts was disciples. Disciples were being multiplied all over the place in Jerusalem, and in Samaria, and in Judea, and out throughout the Gentile world, the Roman Empire and beyond. The disciples of Christ, who were learners and followers and imitators, became extenders, and they were extending the 
confines, you might say, of Christ's kingdom far and wide. They were they were bringing citizens out of Satan's kingdom into Christ's kingdom, and those disi- those citizens were disciples of Christ. They became learners as well. They became followers as well. They became imitators as well. And they became extenders as well. And what are we talking about? We're talking about what is spiritual fruit. This is what it looks like. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is what that spiritual fruit looks like. Does it reflect these characteristics in your life? That's the question that you need to answer. Until next Sunday, this is Greg Barkman, Bible Teacher on the Beacon broadcast, saying good day. May God give you His eternal peace.